This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and as you're taking this, this journey, this path to product mastery, Today, we're going to be talking about another very important tool for us, and that's experimenting and testing to help create products that customers love. And helping us with this topic is Alex Mitchell. He's our guest, and he's the director of product at Ken Insurance. And he's also the founder of Modern Product Manager, which provides resources and courses for aspiring product managers. And he's also involved in some other organizations some that might come up, lending his expertise and product to help them out. As always, anything that you hear about that you want to go back to, we do take detailed written notes for you, and you'll find those show notes at productmasterynow.com slash 361. You'll also find a one-page action guide to help you, you know, kind of put into practice quickly the key takeaways that we're going to be discussing. So check out those resources for you, productmasterynow.com slash 361. Alex, thanks for being here and joining us. Yeah, thanks, Chad. I'm really excited about this topic, excited to be here and, and sharing this with your audience. I'm super passionate about experimentation, about testing, and hopefully can share a few things for everyone here today. I'm excited about it as well. It's a very important topic. It is how we validate our ideas with uh, customers. And just want to talk through this a bit. But first, I'm curious, we came across each other because I found some of your articles on Medium that you've written about product management. And I love people that contribute to the community. That's how this podcast started. Frankly, it was scratching my own itch, wanting to talk to interesting people about product ideas, and then at the same time, share that with the, the, the larger community of product managers. And you started writing also for your, your website, Modern The Modern Product Manager. I'm curious, just tell us how that got started. Yeah, definitely. So somewhat similar to how you described it. So when I first got into product management now, more than eight years ago at this point, there wasn't a ton of content out there for new product managers. And so I almost started, you could call it a journal, journaling kind of my experiences along the way, things I was trying, things I was failing at, things I was learning. And, you know, I just really enjoyed it. It really helped me share, you know, my thoughts and, and my learnings along the way. And I saw that, you know, people were starting to, to pay attention to it. They were benefiting from it. So, you know, zipping ahead a few years there, that initial writing, that initial journaling grew into what now is the modern product manager, which as you mentioned, is not only a blog out there, but also courses, mentoring other materials for both people who want to break into product management and people looking to level up their product management careers. And I still write to these to this day. It's really enjoyable to kind of just continue to share what's going on in my product management life and, and hopefully help others out there as they're going through theirs. Excellent. And that's a pretty natural progression, right? Moving from writing about these topics from your own experience. I love that kind of journaling perspective and just sharing out loud in a sense, right? With the public that's paying attention. Definitely. Your experience, what, what's your learning, what's working, what's not working. And then, you know, turning that in time as you go, taking your experience and what you've written into courses as well to help out product managers. So very, very good use of your resources and talents there. When it comes to experimenting and testing, certainly I'm just very curious where this will go for us. It's a key topic as far as I'm concerned and one that product managers need to be involved in and not just moving out and putting into action what they think might be best. Can you describe this kind of from your experience now as a product manager, how you think about experimenting and testing? Definitely. And I think I'd start with making sure our kind of definition here or our horizon is, is broad enough. I think sometimes when you say experimentation, 
especially maybe a more data-driven product manager, analytical one might jump right to something like A-B testing. And like, that's experimentation. It's like setting up this controlled experiment where we're using a platform like Split or Optimizely. And that's that's exactly what I go to with experimentation. But I want us to think kind of more broadly today. As you almost mentioned a little bit there in the intro, experimentation and testing is kind of a foundational element of product management. And so the main thing I want kind of everyone to kind of put in their head is that this is a continuous part of product management. It isn't something that you wait maybe until you've built a feature and it's, oh, now we should run an A-B test. Like, of course, that's an experiment. That's great. And we'll probably talk more about that today. But you should be thinking kind of continuously throughout your kind of product um, you know, development life cycle. What are the things I can be testing to you know, inform myself and my team and my company better? What are small experiments I can run without developers, you know, maybe just very informally to, to learn some things. And so I just want people to kind of take that away, that this is a continuous part of the process, not just an A-B test at the end. And really as product people, we should always be developing these hypotheses that we can validate or invalidate and help us make better decisions with our resources, whether that's our time, whether that's our people on our team, and the points that we can, you know, we put against certain efforts, we should always be looking for ways to test and experiment to make better decisions. Yeah, and you mentioned they're testing your hypotheses, right? It seems almost predictable as product managers spend more time in a domain, in a particular industry, as, as a company in, in total, you know, they gain deeper domain uh, knowledge. They become experts in that area. And in a sense, that kind of causes us to just, uh, we have assumptions that go along with that, right? We've seen the same thing so many times and we build up these assumptions. And we kind of do what is rather predictable. And I think innovation actually slows when that happens. And testing your, your hypothesis, and I would say testing your assumptions too, is really important to help keep the information fresh and look for those insights that a lot of people would just make assumptions about and not realize that they're important, that there might be a new opportunity for customers to, a new opportunity that we recognize that we can provide value for customers. Um, thoughts on testing those assumptions? Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And it's something that, you know, even now that I've been at my, my current place for a little bit more than a year, you start to feel that and you start to slow down, as you mentioned, the innovation. And so I think one way to kind of counter that two ways to counter it. One, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about is involving more people in that experimentation process. It's not just you as the product manager having to come up with all the ideas and, and all the hypotheses you want to test. You should involve your team. You should involve people outside your team. Get people excited about experimentation is one way to kind of keep that you know, innovation going, that kind of pushing the envelope going and not getting kind of complacent as, as you you know, understand more of that domain space, as you said. So I think that's one way. And, you know, another way is to also move yourself around as well. I know not everyone has this opportunity at, at you know, depending where they're working, but, you know, trying to work in different domains at your current company as a product manager. So moving from maybe a customer facing part of the product to maybe a more, you know, kind of back end facing part of the product or, you know, behind the scenes customer support part of the product, kind of moving around those different domains somewhat frequently keeps your ideas fresh, keeps you coming up with testing and experimentation ideas. So those are kind of two different ways I've seen to, you know, keep fresh, not get too set in that one domain. Yeah, both are really good suggestions involving others in the experimentation process because they will see things differently than we might if we get too used to the same domain. And then uh, maybe sharing in those different roles in the organization, right? 
Um, I, I love it when executives and certainly product managers get into this as well, but um, organizations that talk about their executives having once a year to spend time uh, you know, in, in the warehouse, in the factory, or, or once a month they're spending time on the customer service phone, just hearing what kind of calls come in, and it gives us a different perspective just yep. to kind of move ourselves out of our typical role and think about things a little bit differently. So you did mention there you are the director of product at Ken Insurance. And I bet you have an example of using experimenting there since we're talking about this. And that might be a good way to get into this topic more. Sure. So today, Kin Insurance sells home insurance to kind of catastrophe regions. So places like Florida and, and Louisiana, that's our, our specialty. And one of the things we kind of observed through research in our product is many of our customers were not making changes to their product after they initially purchased, even if it was in their best interest to make changes. And so what we kind of hypothesized was, you know, they're not making these changes because they don't know they can make these changes. They don't know they can add on additional coverage or additional benefits to their product that that they probably do need in, in many of these cases. So we kind of observed something that was going on. And then we came up with the hypothesis that, you know, hey, if we try at the right time, or if we try, you know, kind of soon after they purchase from us to share additional products that would be a good fit for them or additional coverages that would be a good fit for them, we hypothesize that a meaningful percent of people will take us up on that offer, at least to learn more, at least be interested in learning, could this be a fit for them? And then some percent of them will change it. And so, you know, if I was taking not an experimental approach to this, if I was doing maybe this, that, you know, more like kind of waterfall or, or very structured way, I might take a step back, design this whole over intricate, you know, add-on system that a customer is going to go through. It's going to be multiple pages long. It's going to add, you know, it's going to update all of the pricing of their policy. It's going to send them five emails along the way. It's going to be fully blown out. That is the, the opposite of what we want to do here. We're trying to just validate if this is interesting to our customers. And so we just took a, a very simple approach and we just found a subset of customers that was eligible for a particular product. In this case, it was flood insurance, an add-on that we offer today at Kin. And we followed up with them a week after they purchased from us. And by followed up, it was one email kind of conveying the benefits of this, asking if they were interested and providing them a way to share that interest. When we even debated like the, what should be included in that or not. Like, should we actually include the price? That actually looked like it would cost some development work. So we said, nope, we're not going to include the price. We'll include a price range. So we were like having this active conversation along the way, me and a fellow product manager, along with a few others who are part of our experimentation group, and we ended up creating something in a very short period of time with a very small amount of effort that we could send to this group of people to test that hypothesis. Would they add on, in this case, flood insurance to their policy? And what we saw uh, in running this test was they would. They were interested in it. They wanted to learn more. And what was great about this test too, and what's great about testing in general, you can validate or invalidate your hypothesis. In this case, we validated it but you always learn a few other things along the way too. So by the nature of the questions we got, we said, oh, we didn't think of that. Or we would have you know, never thought of that customers would you know, X, Y, or Z, but now that's kind of changed our thinking a little bit. And so you're able to then kind of stack these kind of micro experiment, experiments in a way, much like we do product development to keep informing um, ourselves as we, we go forward. And what was cool is we were able to do this with no development effort at all. So completely separate from our team, learn all these great things, set us up for you know two or three more 
follow-up experiments and, you know, invest none of our, our most precious resource until, you know, at some point down the road, we've really validated this, we've really shaped it well, and we understand, you know, kind of the customer experience here. So that's just one example, a recent one, but we kind of take that approach in general at, at Canon and then most of the places I've been at in terms of experimentation. That's a really help, helpful example there and doing something very lightweight. And this is what we, I think, mean, what, certainly I mean, and what, I think what you mean too by experimentation and testing is these very lightweight tests that can be done quickly without a lot of, of cost involved and get an answer back that's helpful to us about what that next step is. And I found in, in two settings, right? So with my hat on helping organizations improve their product capability, and then also as a university instructor teaching classes on, on product management, I run into, I guess I shouldn't be surprised at this point, but it's surprising to me how often I run into some resistance to this notion that we can even do that, that we can kind of be scrappy and do the, these little lightweight experiments. And, you know, in some organizations, the resistance is, well, how would we just get that data? So I'll give you a specific example. So one company was working with distributors and not with act their actual in, uh, body of end users. And there were a few end users. And I suggested, well, let's just go out to where they are using your product and let's watch them for a while. Well, really? Well, how will we even find out who, who, where would we go, right? They were saying no before they even thought through, could they make this happen or not, right? And I I love the conversation early in my product management career I had with a uh, product manager that was creating building materials. And he shared, you just go to Home Depot and you hang out in the aisles and you watch people, what what they're looking at. And and then at the right moment, you just go ask them a little bit about their purchasing decision and you find out kind of what they're thinking about. Like, I love that scrappy approach that we can get information rather easily if we just think through the experiment. And to extend this, when I'm teaching uh, courses on product management with graduate students, often we'll talk about the concept test. How do we test if your product concept is going in the right direction? And most of the time, the answer back is, well, we'll build a functional prototype of it and give them the functional prototype and you know see if they like it. Well, what's it going to cost you to make that functional prototype? We're basically mm-hmm. discussing now building the product. That's not what we're talking about as you and I are discussing experimenting right now, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. And I I think those stories are are great that you told. And I I think you brought up a valuable point um, that I want to make sure your audience is prepared for a bit. Like as you're proposing these experiments, that these are tests, these are, you know, ideally small focused um, things, but they will still kind of shake up the, the world a little bit for some people because they're different. They are different maybe than the way that some of your colleagues are used to working. They're different than maybe other teams at your company are used to working who might have, you know, a fully thought out plan. I'm thinking of customer support, for example. You know, we always respond in these ways to these types of problems. And now you're maybe introducing, in my case, another email that's different for adding on something that we've never done before. And that's a lot of testing is it's different than we've done before. It's different because we're trying to see if that's better and we're trying to learn. So just be prepared for either skepticism or questions or a little bit of discomfort from certain people that's not uncommon that actually may be an indication that you're you're kind of on the right track you're you're pushing the boundaries with your right. experimentation which is one of the other things you're trying to do yeah and i think when you first start talking about an experiment and maybe come up with an idea like like you just shared about the email to then immediately step back and said well if we made this as easy as possible what would that look like right how could we even make it more simple And part of this, I think, is being aware of your organizational culture and the words that mean certain things to the culture. Like the notion of a minimal viable product does not work in many organizations I encounter because it has the word product in it. 
And product carries along a lot of expectations like, oh, we're building a product. We have to do this list. This, here's our big checklist of what that means to get that out to the marketplace. And just replacing that, and I forget who introduced this language, you, you might remember, but if I could remember, I would give you credit of changing it to minimum viable experiment, right? You do an MVE, and that works better for some organizations, right? We're, we're, we're learning here. Maybe a pilot is, is the, the better language, but figuring out what makes this sound like, oh, this would be okay. Something that we could do quick, lightweight, low cost would be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Language definitely, I 100% agree, varies across companies. So it's, yeah, it's finding those right words to use to express what what you're doing. And I, I like to use hypothesis a lot. I like to use test or experiment because test kind of lowers the the blood pressure, I think, a little bit of people in the organization. It's, oh, it's just a test. Okay. It's not a permanent vision of how the future is going to be that I have to, you know, adapt my whole team structure to. It's, oh, it's just a test. We're going to learn. Okay, got it. Like I can cool my blood pressure down a little bit or take my temperature down a little bit. So words are important here. Yeah. And I like your earlier suggestions about extending this beyond you, getting, you know, the product team, others involved in thinking about the test. Um, not only does that help help carry on this idea into the culture that we can do this, but you also might get other perspectives that are really helpful that would help let you rethink your testing approach. Because I have seen tests, especially from, and I don't mean to say there's something wrong with this, uh, data-driven organizations are important for us to have data that we're making decisions on. But I have seen also some of those tests get very elaborate when there were other perspectives that I'm sure could have been brought in and said, well, based on our expertise and knowledge we already have, this is what we really need to focus on as opposed to this long, drawn-out, elaborate test that was developed. Along that lines, I'm curious if you have seen, maybe you've made this mistake yourself, you've seen other places, experiments or tests that didn't really produce helpful data or maybe even misleading data, right, that you find out later about. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen this a couple times, and I think there's a couple kind of root causes of, you know, an experiment either producing unhelpful data or just not the data you're, you're kind of looking for. And so I think and we talked about you know the hypothesis before as you're you're thinking about these these experiments. You know, I mentioned the one for you know my my email example, the hypothesis that people would would add on you know an additional product um, you know within a period of time after they purchased from us. And so I think sometimes what I've seen with producing unhelpful data is when the experiment hypothesis, you know, kind of what you're trying to learn, what you're you're kind of believing and putting out there as the hypothesis. And the experiment design, like, don't quite line up. Like, you know, in our example, you know, let's say we had the hypothesis that people are, you know, going to add on something, you know, within a week of, of purchase if we give them a compelling offer. But let's say we don't actually have any mechanisms to deliver that offer. Let's say we don't have the ability to work, you know, with our marketing team to, to drop an email for a certain group of customers, or we don't have a place in the product to offer that. And we try and like do it in a in a different way in a place that's that's really not logically lining up with that experience. Like that's just going to be a mismatch experience. We're not going to end up like learning what we want. The data that's going to get produced is is unhelpful. So that's that's one thing that can happen is just when your hypothesis, if you're not actually able to adequately make the changes to to prove or disprove it. Another place I've seen experience experiments produce unhelpful data is sometimes if you're trying to look at so much data um, in response to an experiment that gets beyond what you're actually changing. And so you see this maybe more in like the A-B kind of testing space, but you know, there's lots of just natural fluctuation of data in a, in a product. 
and you know making sure that you know you have someone on the team who understands kind of statistical significance and who understands you know kind of the the scope of what was changed and what wasn't changed and what's what's likely to be a result of of this and what's likely to just be noise i've definitely seen some more junior folks kind of get confused by that additional data, you know, ascribe a, a small change we made to much bigger things that are happening elsewhere in the company. And so I think, you know, experiments, depending on how they're set up, can produce lots of data, but you want to make sure you're, you're focusing on, you know, what actually matters for the experiment, what is likely to have been changed, not every single piece of data in, in the company as, as well. So those are just a few things I've seen around kind of data becoming unhelpful in an experiment or people looking at the wrong data from an experiment, a few kind of gotchas that, that definitely have come up before. Yeah, really good points. I'm wondering about the role of data science and data scientists have been part of organizations for the last many years. I started seeing them show up in product groups about three years ago in some organizations, and that seems to be a trend that has, is growing. Do you have data scientists in your organization? We do have data scientists at, at Kin, um, and they, they help with a lot of different things for us, ranging from the data that we use to price our, our customers' insurance policies to you know data we use around weather forecasting, things like that. So they have a pretty broad mandate with, with us, but we do try and bring some of them, either data scientists or, or folks from our analytics team, into the testing process. I think the, the thing I would caution the audience on too is you know, potentially if you have too many of those folks in the room, you're going to kind of skew always towards very statistical A-B testing part of experimentation. So you might forget about the, the part we talked about before where you can run experiments that you know are as simple as going into the Home Depot aisle and, and talking to people, um, sending out an email. You might overlook some of those just because you have that analytical firepower kind of in the room who might be looking at more complex multivariate testing and, and stuff like that. So just Keep in mind kind of what biases and experiences people are going to bring into that testing room, that experimentation discussion, and kind of make sure, you know, you don't over-index in any of those ideas because they're they're all good for different purposes, but you don't want to just be doing one or the other. Yeah, it's a good caution. We have to get used to kind of the language the data scientists tend to speak <laughs> and get them to appreciate what we're trying to accomplish as well as what, what where their shrinks are. But just seeing this happen more and more, it's another resource for us to be thinking about if it's in our organization. So really helpful. On when experimental data goes, you know, the wrong direction doesn't really help us. A uh, key thing I've seen is just using the wrong audience, right? You know, if we're trying to grow what we sell to existing customers, we should probably be talking about some existing customers. For trying to grow our market larger, we should be talking about people that aren't our customers now. And I've seen a mix match between those. And probably the most famous example is a new Coke, right? When, when Coca-Cola came out with the new Coke formula, they were primarily testing with Pepsi drinkers. And they had a winning solution for Pepsi drinkers to sway them over to Coke. Uh, but they did not do sufficient testing with Coke drinkers and that, uh, you know, so if you don't know the story, it's a fascinating one, go, go Google it. But yeah, that, but. that is a good one. So audience is incredibly important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a really good one. Yeah, and it's easy to mess that up. Okay, why don't you leave us with maybe a key tip or best practice that you like when it comes to uh, experimenting? Yeah, I think one key tip I would recommend, and I say this to, to my team as well, is you know your test should be small, focused, and easy to explain. So you know if you find yourself, you know as you mentioned before, you know having a test that has you know ten different checkboxes to kind of you know check off before it's built, um, it is difficult to explain to someone in you know less than fifteen seconds of what you're trying to learn and how you're going to accomplish it. 
your test is probably too big. Maybe there are some, there are probably some exceptions to that rule, but, but by and large, you should just keep as you, as we do in product in general, keep kind of refining, get to that smaller version that will still help you learn that just keeps things simpler, keeps them more focused, gives you a better opportunity to learn what you're trying to learn and that other people in the company can understand because that's a lot of what experimentation is. It's getting, as we've talked about a few times today, getting others involved, not only in the experimentation kind of generation, but also in the sharing of results. We're all trying to get smarter as, as a company, as an organization from these experiments. And so if they're complex, difficult to explain, that's going to undercut your ability to do that. Excellent. That's a very good takeaway for us. Keep your experiments small, focused, and easy to explain. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes. Uh, Often they're inspiring. They give us something to reflect on. What do you have for us and what does that one mean to you? Yeah, so my quote is, failure is an option here. If things are not failing, you are not innovating enough by someone who's been in the news a lot lately, Elon Musk. The reason I like this one, especially with the topic that we're talking about, is you know, when I think about experimentation, the worst thing I think that can happen is you don't learn something. You have, let's say, an A-B test that is completely neutral. <laughs> nothing nothing changed on either, on either side. It's the same result, you know, on the A and the B side, not good. Or if, you know, in the case of our other experimentation, you know, that's not A-B testing, you didn't learn, you know, anything through, through doing that experiment, through doing that, you know, email, through doing that, you know, walking around to talking to people. That's the worst outcome. Actually, failing is a great result in experimentation. You've learned something pretty big. When I go to experiment, I look for, you know, what what are we going to be able to do that is going to either validate or invalidate? We don't want to end in between where we now have to design a whole nother experiment. We got to do a whole nother round here to actually learn something. So failure is an option in experimentation. It's actually a good thing in experimentation. And it teaches us a lot. Very good. Appreciate that quote and your reflections on it as well. How can listeners find out more about the work that you're doing? Definitely. You can find more about me on Medium. If you just look up Alex Mitchell, or even if you just look up product, you'll probably find a few things from me. Or you can go to my website at themodernproductmanager.com. We talked about that a lot today. That's where you can find some more content, mentoring, course materials, things like that as well. Excellent. I will make sure those links are in the show notes to make it easier for listeners to find. Very much appreciate your time with us, Alex, and the tips on experimenting. And of course, I mentioned those detailed show notes we take for you. So a summary of everything that was discussed in written form, along with that one-page action guide. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 361. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.